Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Father, thank you for life that we have through the resurrection of Jesus, new life that we have, forgiveness of sins, victory over weakness and brokenness, and life forevermore. Father, would you help us to lean into your word today to learn what it looks like to be well-trained in this life of ours while we wait for that Jesus to come back and take us home and make all things new and make all things good and right. Father, we pray it in his name. Amen. We got some kids in here today. Kids, how many of you have ever been to Disneyland or Disney World or any variation of the Disney franchises out there? Any of you do Jedi training? Man, my boys, several years ago we went and we did Jedi training. It was the highlight of their trip. And do any of you remember the motions you had to learn with your lightsaber? Because in this thing, they go to Jedi training and they've got some, the young Padawan learners are learning from the Jedi masters and the masters are teaching them with their, their lightsabers, the, the motions that they're supposed to go through in order to win a fight. And so they start off and I, I think I actually have this one memorized, but it was, you know, right shoulder, left shoulder, duck, right leg, left leg, strike the head. And so that was the motions that they learned and they repeated it over and over and over. And kids, any of you remember that? I mean, were you pretty good? You guys were there, right? Did you do well? Yeah, and then what happens after your training time? After your training time, out of nowhere, Darth Vader and Darth Maul emerge from the depths in a cloud of smoke. And now the moment is is upon you to find out if your training really added up, to figure out if it really worked or not. In the face of, of, of an enemy, would your training kick in? And to my amazement, all these little kids that you can't get to focus on any, almost anything you only want to, did it perfectly in the face of the enemy. And so their training had paid off. And today, as I think about that, I really just was thinking about the fact that, that training really does matter in life, that our repetitions, our practice, the things that we do, the things that, we, that, we, that shape our lives are important because they're critical when we, when we need those, the training to kick in at, at critical moments. And today, we're gonna be looking at Daniel chapter six. If you've got your Bibles, would you turn to Daniel chapter six? And we're gonna run through that in this last, series, last sermon in our series called Engage, where we've been focusing on what it's like to live as outsiders in our world, to live in a world where oftentimes we feel like we're away from home, like Daniel was away from home. He was living in exile in Babylon where the customs of the people were different than his and where their, their, their approach to, uh, to, to God was different than his and their morality was different than his and their views on sexuality and marriage were different than his and their views on, on history and on the future were different than his. And Daniel found himself in a place, much like we do some of the time, where he felt like an outsider amongst all the people he was living, uh, <clears throat> living in the midst of. And it can be confusing, it can be wearying to live in a world where you feel like, man, maybe my, my worldview or my approach to life is contradictory to those 
than some of those around me or many of those around me. In fact, uh, one of my mentors uh, preached a sermon years ago on, on Daniel and he called it a word for those who aren't home yet. You see, Daniel was away from home and he, he longed to go back to Jerusalem, but he knew that God had, had placed him there for a reason. And that for seven years, God's people were gonna live in exile in a foreign country. And they were gonna constantly be looking back to Jerusalem, longing to go back to a place and a time where everything was ordered under God's reign and where everything was structured under God's reign. And though not perfect, he wouldn't feel like an outsider anymore. He would feel like he was amongst his people. But that was not the case here. And the people that, that he lived amongst chose to live in a different way. And do you ever have a sense of that same kind of life, that those around you, you just have a sense that maybe they're not, they're not thinking about the world the way you're thinking about it, that maybe they don't look at the Bible the way you look at the Bible. Maybe they're not ordering their lives around honoring God the way you seek to honor God with your life. And maybe, maybe uh, you're, you're worshiping your obedience to God it makes you look strange to some of your neighbors or, or students. Maybe it makes you look strange to your classmates whenever you don't engage in certain activities that everyone else is engaging in. And, and maybe you have a sense that you feel like a little bit outsider. And this is the struggle of an imperfect world and our living in an imperfect world. And you know that God is going to deliver us one day, but that day is not here yet. Someday, but not today. And so what do we do while we wait for God to make all things new and to bring us home into a world where we know that, that, that we are all living under his reign. Well, until God takes us home, uh, we train in a way that honors God and brings good to those around us. So here's what we're gonna do today. Let me give you seven, seven marks of a well-trained life. And, and the older I get, the more valuable these become to me. And so I look at the way the scripture teaches these things and, and it stirs my heart uh, because I, I believe it honors God. I believe it blesses those around us. So let's look at Daniel chapter six. We're gonna start in verse one. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel becoming distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and satraps sought to find ground for a complaint against Daniel and with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So they understood that this Daniel was somehow different, that there was something about his life that was distinguished from the rest of them. And so they began to look for something that they could do to bring him down. And it's interesting that Daniel is, is probably an old man now. Daniel, you know, we, we tend to read these really quickly and we don't realize how quickly, or we tend to think that, that time is pretty short. But Daniel lived for decades in the midst of this, this people of Babylon. And so, man, decades have passed. He served under multiple kings and multiple rulers during that time. And so Daniel, now an old man, is, <clears throat> is continuing to live faithfully in the midst of, in the midst of this, this group of people. So let me give you seven marks. The first thing we see is that Daniel, uh, as we observe Daniel's life, is, is excellence. 
Um, you see in verse three, it says, Daniel became distinguished among the people because an excellent spirit was in him. There was something excellent about who he was. Daniel stood out in his work. He displayed exceptional qualities in the way in which he worked amongst this group of people. But you notice it didn't just have to do with his talent. It says that there was an excellent spirit in, in him. And so it wasn't just that he was talented. It was his demeanor, his approach to life, the way he carried himself, something about in, his internal motivations is qualified here as excellent. This is a guy who, who had, a, had a natural drive in order <clears throat> that result, resulted in excellent work. I mean, can I just encourage you? Do good work. Be where you're supposed to be. Do the things you're supposed to do. Show up on time. Don't complain. Go above and beyond what is required. Don't just kind of skate across the line of acceptable, but excel because there's something in you that says, and I want to do well because it honors my God when I do well. This is, I think, what we see in Daniel is that there was something that was, uh, that, that naturally in his, his, his spirit it caused him to excel in the things in which he did. Now, we can go to the extreme. And so I want to say, just, for the, just to make sure we're clear, don't worship your work, but let your work be an act of worship. Don't, don't make work your God, but honor God in the way in which you work. The priority there makes a lot of difference. Have you ever known someone who talks about Jesus at work, but is a really shoddy or lazy employee? And imagine a scenario where someone, because of their carelessness about their job, because they're kind of lazy in the way they go about their work practices, uh, they cost the company a, a huge account. And th then your Christmas bonus depended on getting that account. And so now you're going to your Christmas party and no one in the company is getting the Christmas bonus because you didn't fulfill your job. And then as you're there at that party, you say, hey, would you like to go to Christmas service with me? And how do you think that that invitation is going to be received by those around you. My guess is they may be a little bit hesitant. See, poor work can cause people to tune you out. Now, it's not that, but, but, but so poor work can cause people to tune you out, but excellence can actually pave the way for you to connect with people and be trusted in other ways. So it's not that the excellence in your work is going to lead everyone to Christ. They're all going to look at you and go, wow, he does really good work. I'm going to immediately become a Christian. But that sometimes that excellence, because they trust you at work, may, cause, may help them to trust you as you speak to them about other arenas of life. That if they have a, a relationship with you and say, man, this guy's a trustworthy man or woman, then maybe they're gonna, they'll trust you whenever you speak truth to them in other areas as well. So excellence can open up conversation for you. Daniel, it says, stood out as a leader amongst leaders. There were 120 leaders and there were three over them. And it says the king took Daniel and put him out of those three. Daniel was one of the three. He made Daniel over all of them. Now, what was it that caused him to do this for Daniel? Why did he elevate them? And when he did, what do you think happened? And you can pretty easily predict that when Daniel was elevated over all of them, there's going to be some jealousy, right? that maybe there's gonna be some tension with these guys. It's like, you're three, and they said, but Daniel's over the three. There's probably gonna be some tension with the 120 and the three that he was over, especially if you realize that Daniel was actually blocking their illegal activities. 
that these guys were, were famous and known for kind of side hustles. They were known for working things, for getting kickbacks, for working deals to personally benefit them. And so there's some political corruption going on. And Daniel, it says, was trusted. The king depended on him in order to block those things. And so that's why Daniel was elevated. So immediately they go to attack him and they start trying to dig up some dirt on Daniel. And that really leads us to the second mark that we see, which is integrity. Daniel had integrity. He was a man who was trustworthy. He was the one who had been elevated over the others, verse two says, so that the king might suffer no loss. Because Daniel had integrity, the king could trust him that, that none of these side deals, that this corruption amidst uh, this political corruption was not, going to, uh, was not going to bear fruit because Daniel was gonna block their way and make sure that everything was accounted for and done well. Now, we don't have a Daniel, but we do have, we do have a David Cole who investigates corruption and uh, oftentimes has to bring justice to those situations because we too live in a fallen world. We know what it's like when people work side deals and they do things that they shouldn't and they're unethical. And we need men who are trustworthy, who have integrity to stand in the, the, in the, in the way of those kinds of things. And so Daniel was faithful. It says that as they began to dig and try to dig up some dirt in him, on him, it says there's no error and no fault found in him. Now, I don't wanna judge prematurely all people engaged in current modern day politics, but I would say it would be hard, we would be hard pressed to find someone that served in public office for decades in whom no fault could be found. And we're seeing this over and over in our world. And yet Daniel, it says, was faithful. Probably not perfect, but he was faithful. And you notice it's interesting, his faithfulness here, when it says he was faithful in these verses, he's not talking about his faithfulness to his God. He's actually talking about his faithfulness to his boss, that he was loyal to his boss, that he could, he could be trusted because he was faithful to the king. He worked hard. He was where he was supposed to be. He made sure that he did the things that his boss asked him to do. And his boss could trust him because, uh, trust him without worrying. And I, can I encourage you, if you're a young guy or young gal and you're starting out in the working world or you're about to leave school and you're about to enter into the working world, man, be faithful in the little things. Be faithful in the little stuff. And I love when you see this in just the, the way Daniel had been faithful over the years, starting out in his education uh, back in Daniel 1. You see these little decisions that he began to make that really progressed so that he begins up being the most trusted man in the kingdom. So be faithful in the little stuff. These, this is how you gain responsibility in or, any organization. That when you're faithful in little, you're given a little bit more. And when you're faithful in that, you're, you're trusted with a little bit more. And when, as you are continually faithful in the things that you're called to do, you're given more freedom and you're given more responsibility. That's the way the world works. There's, there's, just, there's not participation trophies at work. You've got to earn your way. You've got to continually show your, or prove your worth to those around you. So don't expect to be on the top of the org chart day one, but be faithful in the little stuff and be content to do that. And it will serve you well. Uh, it's interesting, Jesus taught, actually taught on this as well. In uh, Luke 16, he says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is dishonest in much. And can I give you a, a strong statement about this? I think when you think about Daniel, he was faithful to his, his employer because he was faithful to God that it was his faith in God that actually produced his loyalty and his faithfulness at work. Friends, our, our relationship with God changes our lives. And one of the things I just have seen over the last five or 10 years is I feel like the church has, has 
kind of diverted a little bit from this. You got some churches that are kind of weak on the gospel, but they're really good on giving good advice. And you got other churches that maybe they're strong in the gospel, but they struggle to show how that has implications for how it ought to change your life. But really, it, it applies to both. The gospel, when we have a real relationship with God, <coughs> it does shape our lives and it does form our lives and it changes who, who we are. Can I give you a couple of verses on this? Let me go New Testament, just so you kind of see what I'm talking about and understand really what I mean by a relationship with God. When you, when you have God in, in, in your life and your faith is in him and you have a relationship with him, it, it changes and shapes and forms who you are. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit's presence in your life yields these things out of you over time. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. When, when God's Spirit is in us, there's something that results in us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I discipline my body, Paul says, and I keep it under control, meaning I, I beat my body into submission. There's training that's involved in that. There's work. There's something that, that God's changing in you to produce self-control in you. Paul says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Meaning saying, do what I do and follow after those who do as I do. And together we're gonna be shaped and formed and become something new because we're learning to live as God wants us to live. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's training language. It's saying, man, I forgot the, I forgot the interception I just threw and I went to the next play. I pressed on, I'm straining towards the finish line and trying to do well. God wants to change our lives and the Bible constantly calls us to build our lives around this, um, this kind of training that God wants to bring us. In fact, what we see here is that, that when we walk by faith, those kinds of things are the result. And, and so the, the men who are attacking Daniel, you know what they end up doing? The, they say, well, we can't, we can't trip him up except for his faith. In fact, his faith is the one thing we have against him that we think we can get him on. And so the third mark that you see is courage. We saw excellence, integrity, now courage. These men were after Daniel and they knew about his faith and they were so convinced that the, and so they convinced the king that anyone who prays to a God other than the king and anyone who worships anyone but the king over the next 30 days that they'll throw into the lion's den. And so they, they know that Daniel will be faithful and he'll continue to pray as he always had with his God. And so they come up with this idea and they convince the king to sign into law this crazy thing. And so what does Daniel do in the face of persecution? Look at me at verse 10. It says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, meaning that the king had signed this document that said, anyone that worships anyone but me, well, has to, not me, but the king, uh, has to uh, be thrown into the, den, into the lion's den. When Daniel knew that the king had signed this into law, he went to his house where he, where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel did exactly what he'd always done. He had courage to stand strong when things got tough. You notice it says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, meaning he was aware of what was at stake. He counted the cost. He thought about what it was that, 
that the king had commanded, and he chose willfully to disobey the king in this instance because his loyalty to God was greater than his loyalty to this king. Friends, there comes a time when, when you can't back down. There comes a time when you, your faith calls you to, to stand strong, when your faith calls you to have courage, when you have to trust God above everything else. And when he opens up his window toward Jerusalem, what he's saying is, my faith is not in my ability. My faith is not in my, uh, my, my ability to politically navigate the circumstances. My faith is not in the, the riches or the comforts of this kingdom. My faith and my hopes are in the God who comes from Jerusalem. And so he looks to him and he would not deny that. Friends, our, our faith is, is personal, but it's not private. Meaning our, our faith is it's yours. It's, it's an intimate, personal thing, but it's also something we live out in front of others. It's not something that's meant to be hidden. It's something that's meant to be on display in front of the world in which we live. Um, ours is the same thing. Second Timothy 3 says, indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Here, let me just give you a little insight. The word all in that verse means all. That that's just all of it. Anyone who desires to live a godly life is going to experience the feeling of being an outsider who's maybe looked down upon at some time. Now, the consequences for us are probably not exactly like Daniel's. We're probably not afraid of a lion's den, but there's other consequences that we experience where we feel the pressure of, of others who don't agree with our faith. And so when you look at this, Daniel did the little things that didn't seem so critical maybe in the moment. But whenever his faith was on the line. Whenever he was called to step up, his training paid off and he was able to do what he had always done. That's the fourth mark of a well-trained life, which is prayer. The fourth thing you see here is prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer. It says he got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. As he'd done previously, meaning he had done this every day. He was well-trained and well-rehearsed and going to his home, opening his window to Jerusalem, getting down on his knees, praying and thanking God, trusting God. He had learned over time that his hope was not in his abilities, but his hope, or in his circumstances, but his hope was in his God. And so his past dividends and in investments in prayer, or his past investments in prayer paid dividends whenever he needed it most in this moment. Now, what if Daniel had been lax about his prayer life? Like, what if he had been the kind of guy that just took all kinds of days off, that uh, went whole weeks without thinking about God, that, that had days where he, man, his mind never drifted towards God at all? Do you think it might have been easier whenever there were real consequences to maybe just take another day off? Like, man, I took three days off last week. What if I just take another three or 30 days off this month so that I can avoid the lion's den situation? But what you saw was the way that he was faithful day in and day out, the little things added up and produced courage in him. I mean, do you ever feel like the little things don't make much of a difference? I'll just be honest. There's times when, man, when, I, when, when, when life doesn't go the way I want it to, and I just have these questions in my head go, man, does it really matter? Like, does it all produce what I want it to produce? Does it really add up in the end? Is it something that I can, that I, that I can build my life around? Because right now, it doesn't seem to really be paying off the way I want it to pay off. Um, do you ever feel that way? And just wonder, do you ever wonder if showing up to serve is gonna really make a difference? Do you ever wonder if getting up to pray is gonna make a difference? Parents, do you ever wonder if spending time talking to your kids about their hearts and their understanding of the gospel and their, uh, their trusting of God is really gonna produce what you want it to? Because sometimes it seems like they're really checked out and not really paying attention, right? 
Do you ever wonder if writing that tithe check really contributes to the mission of God and the kingdom of God? Do you ever wonder if you're saying no to that activity really makes a difference in the long scheme? I mean, can I encourage you that faithfulness in the little things really does matter? And it really does add up. Maybe you've heard this little proverb about the importance of a single little nail in a horseshoe. And I love that. There's lots of different variations of this little proverb that have come around there. But for one of a nail, the shoe was lost. For one of a, horse, a shoe, the horse was lost. For one of a horse, the knight was lost. For one of a knight, the battle was lost. For one of a battle, the kingdom was lost. So a kingdom was lost all for want of a nail. And always remember the little stuff makes a difference. And sometimes it may seem like a small thing that doesn't add up, but little things add up and produce something, uh, something important. And so it's important that we train ourselves in the habit of, of prayerfulness. And years of getting on his knees faithfully shaped Daniel and prepared him for this moment. You know, like a canyon, you know, a canyon doesn't develop very quickly, but it's the constant beating of the wind and the rains and the current of the river that eventually shapes this magnificent thing of a canyon. And in the same way, our, the little things which we do shape our hearts and they form us and they make us into something that we were not before. And so Daniel, as you see this, He's gonna need all the courage and the prayer he can get. And as you think about his life and this alliance that had formed against him um, now creates a situation where they see Daniel praying and because of his faith, they go to the king and say, said, King, Daniel, the one that's the most trusted one in your kingdom did not respect you enough to stop praying for 30 days. And so they, have, they, they get him in trouble. And the king, um, before he casts him into the den, and makes a proclamation to Daniel that's given in, um, here in this text. In verse 16, we see the fifth mark of, uh, of a well-trained life, which is service. Uh, we, see, we see Daniel lived a life of service. The king in verse 16 says, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. I think it's fascinating that here the king is honoring his request and doing what he is, but he, he, the thing that he remarks about Daniel is, Daniel, you serve your God continually. May your God deliver you in this moment. Daniel served in such a way that everyone noticed. It wasn't like he was out there just trying to be on display, but he just was so faithful. And this was such a consistent part of his life that the king and those around him observed this and saw the way in which this had shaped Daniel's life. Think about the history of Daniel serving God. Daniel 1, what happens? Daniel's a young man in exile and he refuses to eat all the king's stuff because it really not because it was all bad, but because he was trying to preserve his heart and said, and I don't want my heart to get attached to the extravagance of the king. And so in order to preserve the purity of my relationship with the Lord, I'm gonna resist some of these things. And so Daniel was faithful and it says he outperformed all the others. Daniel 2, God gave Daniel an interpretation of the king's dream and Daniel's willing to speak up and to speak against the king and, and to stand <clears throat> firm in the midst of that situation. Daniel 4, Daniel's faithfulness to the king when he was about to be cast down and Daniel spoke the hard truth to the king. You're gonna be humbled, but if you, receive, if you repent, you'll be exalted. And so the king became like a donkey, but then eventually was restored. Daniel 5, he reads the writing on the wall and speaks truth again to the king. You've seen all these instances where Daniel had been faithful and realistically, I mean, he's been there for decades. These are kind of the neon light moments. 
Like probably not every moment of all those decades was, was that excitable for Daniel or that exciting for Daniel. There was probably a lot of days where he just showed up and made sure that his accounting matched to make sure that he did what he was supposed to do, to make sure that he closed uh, or had the meetings he was supposed to have. There were probably a lot of really boring days. But over time, the king saw that he served his God continually. He saw all of life as, servants, as service to God. You know, I was meeting with our medical team that's going to Ecuador in June and we were talking this week and they shared a story and they were sharing a story of a young lady who had served as a translator and she was someone who really was far from God or distant from God, didn't have, seeming to have a lot of life and a relationship with God, but was there as a translator. And as she began to translate all week long for these people that had left their country and these people from Ecuador that had partnered with them and these two groups of people that seemingly didn't mix, but now we're acting like brothers and sisters and serving and joyfully just giving of their time to the, to the people of this country in order to help their medical care. Um, she went home at the end of that trip and said to her parents, look, I don't understand what makes this group of people so happy while they're working so hard for free. So we have to learn and get to know this God. See, their example of joyful service stood out to her and she eventually came to Christ and her families had this radical transformation because a group of people were faithfully and loyally serving, but with joy. In similar fashion, I think the king had a relationship with Daniel when he saw this like this. So you notice what happens in this text. The king, it says, was up all night that he was in turmoil, that he actually tried to find a way around his own law. Like, are there any loopholes that I can give Daniel an out? Can I find a way not to execute the plan that I said I was going to execute? Because I don't want my friend to be cast into the lion's den. And he said he wasn't able to. So then he said he stayed up all night. And he says he avoided the typical diversions available to a king. Now, it doesn't really elaborate on that, but it doesn't take our minds very much work to figure out what it was talking about, right? There were all kinds of nighttime entertainment that he could have enjoyed, but he was in such turmoil, he closed the door, shut everyone out, and just agonized over waiting to see what would happen with this man, Daniel, that he'd thrown in. So verse 19, let's see what it was that is the result. It says, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel had cried out, and he cried out in a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was, at, was taken up out of the den, and no harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. So Daniel's life was spared. Here we see the sixth mark of a well-trained life, which is faith. So even in the, the face of the lions, Daniel maintains his faith. Notice, where was Daniel's trust? Where does, it, where does the text say? Verse 22 says, my God sent his angel and he shut the lion's mouths. His faith was in a God who was bigger than the lions that he faced. And the angel was sent by God to stand between Daniel and the lions, to be a protector, to be a guard, to be a shield against them. And he says, God sent his angel to save me. But you notice what else the text discredits with um, Daniel's saving or being saved. Verse 23, it says, no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So here's my question for you. 
Was it his God that saved him or was it his faith that saved him? Answer, yes. That it was both. And sometimes this is the mystery of, of, of faith and the mystery of, as we find in the scriptures, that Daniel's faith really made a difference and God sovereignly intervened in this situation and made a difference. But it was through the avenue of God's ordained means of blessing, which is faith, that, that God showed up. And so it was as Daniel trusted the Lord, uh, because he trusted the Lord, um, God showed up. And so you see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Daniel's job was not to resist the lions. He had no power to do that. Daniel's job was to trust God no matter what happened. And in the midst of that, God showed up. And in this instance, God ordained that the, that the lions would, would stop. I think this tells us really the key to all of Daniel's life and everything he was about, which is his faith and his confidence in God. De- deep faith frees us from the grip of self and ultimately that leads to blessing, which is the seventh mark, blessing. Daniel's delivered from the lion's den. The king then throws Daniel's adversaries to the lion. He restores Daniel to his previous place and Daniel's um, exalted again. He praises Daniel's God. So those who continually trust God are eventually gonna find themselves in a place of blessing. Now, it's been said that God's rarely early, but never late. You know, God doesn't always show up in our timing and didn't always show up in the way we want. And in our world, I feel like anytime I talk about blessing, I have to say, this is not the blessing of the prosperity preachers that says God's here and his job is to make you happy and healthy and well entertained. That's not what we're talking about. But eventually, God loves to bless his children and God brings about blessing for his children. And so it's not wrong for us to desire blessing. And you see that here in Daniel's life. Hebrews tells us, in fact, we must believe that God is real and that God is a rewarder of those who seek him. You're commanded to believe that God rewards those who seek him. In this world, friends, we are gonna have trouble, but rest assured, blessing comes to those who are the Lord's and those who seek him. You can count on it. You can hold on to that promise. You can hold on to that promise in dark times and you can hold on to that promise uh, for the end of times. But it's not wrong for us to long for that, for that place. One day, God will deliver blessing upon blessing without end. So seven marks of a well-trained life. And these will serve us well. They're things that while we wait to be brought home, while we wait for the, the final blessing, while we wait for God's return, um, we are to give our lives to these kinds of things. But not accidentally, Daniel's life, well-trained life, reminds us of another well-lived life. See if, this, see if this story sounds familiar. A righteous man comes and lives a, distinct, a life of excellence and distinguished men in front of his people. And a group of leaders, and it earns the respect of those around him to such a degree that he becomes a threat to the establishment, a threat to those around him. And so because of that, they drum up charges against him and they contrive to bring a king to execute him. And when they move to execute this man who had risen above everyone else, uh, they throw him into a place of certain death and roll a stone across to seal his doom. Um, That isn't Daniel, that's Jesus who lived a similar life and faced a certain thing. It's the story of Jesus who came to us as an outsider. And he was righteous as he lived amongst us. And he was accused and attacked by the leaders that came and, and, and sought his, his death. Eventually, he was condemned to death by a king through a false accusation and cast down. Now, the difference between Daniel's story and Jesus' story is Daniel was only in the lion's den for one night and he didn't die, but was rescued out 
when the stone was removed. Jesus actually died and was cast behind the stone and was there for three days. And just like Daniel, the king was in turmoil, wondering about the fate of this one who he loved. The disciples, when Jesus was in the tomb, were in turmoil and anguish and fear at what had happened to the one whom he loved. But then on the third day, on the third day, they came and they rushed. Does the king rush to this deal and look to see what had happened? On the third day, the stone rolled away and Jesus emerged victorious over sin and death. And he rejoiced at what it was that God had brought to save humanity. As he faced death, he not only succumbed, but he emerged victorious, bringing blessing to all who had placed their faith in him. And I find it interesting that the Bible talks about sin. It says sin is crouching at your door like a lion ready to devour you. Friends, Jesus came to stand between us and the lion of sin. And that lion is not a lion that we can defeat on our own. We, we will succumb to it every time, but our Savior stands in the gap between us and sin in order to bring us victory over sin. And he loves to do it for us. He's our protector, our deliverer, our rescuer, our salvation. So let me show you one last thing here as we look at this verse. Daniel 6, verse 25. The king then pronounces a, a, a result after he's rescued Daniel. He says, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. That's pretty much everyone, right? All the peoples, nations, languages, and all the earth. He says, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall be, never be destroyed and his dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And question, does Daniel's resurrection out of the lion's den actually bring about peace for all nations? No. Whose resurrection does? Jesus. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus emerges from behind the stone brings about that kind of peace for all people. In fact, Isaiah 11 gives us a foretaste of the final deliverance Jesus will bring. It says, the wolf shall lie, shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them and the cow and the bear shall graze and their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Friends, we are not home yet, but soon. Resurrection day yet awaits when peace will be between all peoples. So we wait, we hope, and we long for that day. And while we wait, and we train ourselves to honor God in our lives and to, to being good to others. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would be glorified in us, that you would strengthen us to live well for you in the days we have. Father, would you cause us to be a blessing to those around us? Father, to, to seek the good of our city and to seek your glory in it all. Father, we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.